Welcome back, dreamers, for another serving of the Dolphin Dreams podcast. As always, I'm your host, Maddie Limerick, and I can't believe it's almost been a year since we started this journey through the Disney vault together. And I can't thank each and every one of you enough for coming along with me. Now, October 30th is our anniversary special, so tune in because it's going to be a bunch of hocus pocus, and I guarantee you it'll be a ooky, kooky, spooky time. Now, we're joined by a man with more podcasts than God from Another Past Podcast, Men of Steel Podcast, and Scruffy Nerf Herders, and also the head of certain POV media himself, Case Aiken. As we hit the open road and we try to stand out as we take a deep dive into the cult classic, The Goofy Movie. Now, I'm going to start out by saying something shocking, so you might want to pull over if you're driving or sit down if you're standing. (laughs) We have to thank Jeffrey Katzenberg for this movie because it only happened because of him. Now, I know I've given him the hardest time on this podcast and his maybe homophobic and questionable legacy isn't erased just because I love this movie. But Jeffrey, you are officially upgraded to frenemy of the pod. The road to the Goofy movie isn't as easy as that. So let's jump in. Even though it was released in the midst of Disney's greatest time of success due to animated films, the Disney Renaissance, to the company and film historians, this movie isn't considered part of that canon of film, though in my heart, it is. Based on the Disney Afternoon series, The Goof Troop, the company originally wanted to make a TV special, but decided to make it a theatrical release film instead. It was decided early on that Goofy needed to be the focus of his own feature, and that it would be easiest if they aged up Max, his son, from his younger self on the Goof Troop. The film would mark the directing debut of Kevin Lima, who was given this project, but would go on to direct Tarzan, 102 Dalmatians, and Enchanted for the company. Lima dove in and wanted to focus on the emotion and character development of Goofy, because until this point in his history, he'd received no real character development and was painfully two-dimensional. He wanted the audience to see his feelings and not just witness his antics. The story itself was inspired by Katzenberg because at this time he was estranged from his daughter and they went on this camping road trip together that bonded and revitalized their relationship and helped them to see, pardon the pun, eye to eye. During production of this film, movies like Pocahontas and Lion King were in production at Featured Animation and received most of the company's assets. So the Goofy movie was given a much smaller budget, which we actually can't find finalized numbers for online, and would be a collaboration between Featured Animation, Television Animation, and Movie Tunes. Now, Pre-Pro would happen at Feature Animation in Burbank, and then it would be moved off to Disney Animation in France, and then Australia, and then back to Burbank, and then up to Canada for cleanup. Because of this, and a dead pixel in the final capture of the movie, it was moved from its original Thanksgiving 1994 release, and would go into a heavily delayed spring of 1995 release instead. Most of the cast of the Goof Troop would return for the filming, including Bill Farmer as Goofy, Jim Cummings as Pete, Rob Paulson as PJ, but they would also welcome Jason Marsden to the voice the older Max after the death of Dana Hill. 
This is an interesting point to note that in the most Katzenberg kind of way, he felt Goofy's previous, like, shticky classic voice should be replaced with something more interesting and serious. So Farmer spent 43 days recording over a span of about two years uh, on and off with the Goofy voice. But after about a few weeks... Michael Eisner and Roy E. Disney stepped in and would not have this. So they went back to the classic voice, which elongated production time. The cast was rounded out by Tevin Campbell, a young R&B singer who was very popular at the time to play music phenomenon Powerline, who was built to be this mix of Michael Jackson, Prince, and Bobby Brown. By the time of the release, Katzenberg had already been released from Disney, and the only reason this film actually saw the light of day was because the company was contractually obligated with Katzenberg to do a feature release. After its initial delay in 1984, Disney re-released Lion King for the family holiday slot so there wouldn't be an empty movie slot for them. And by April of 1995, it would appear the world wasn't quite ready for the phenomenon that I know the Goofy movie to be. It was released in 2,159 theaters, opening second in its opening weekend to Bad Boys, featuring Will Smith, and earning about $6.1 million in that opening weekend, bringing in roughly $35.3 million altogether in its theatrical run. So while it was deemed a mild success, the company didn't have a bright future for it. The critics also didn't gush over the movie either. It's got a Rotten Tomato score of about 59% with 27 uh, reviews and a consensus that the Goofy movie offers enough of its titular ingredients to satisfy younger viewers, even if most parents will agree that this beloved character deserves better. Now, I think it must be noted that traditionally critics of the 70s, 80s, and 90s were painfully hard on animated releases and so by today's standards I think a lot of the critics are skewed in a really gross way now the company like I said didn't see this as a super viable property even though in the year 2000 it did receive a direct to video uh, sequel which did very poorly called an extremely goofy movie now it hit cult classic status in about the last 10 years, which has garnered its success in the company actually seeing it as an overall successful movie. It even got a 2017 re-release in California at the El Capitan Theater, where it did almost as much as it did in its initial run. Now we'll be right back after this. This episode is brought to you by The Hunted Encore. The Hunted Encore is an action comedy rock musical mockumentary web series about New York City vampire slayers. Winners of more than 70 awards at over 50 festivals worldwide, The Hunted Encore raked number 4 USA, number 27 worldwide in the 2018 Web Series World Cup. The cast and creative team feature alumni of Broadway shows such as Hamilton, Dear Evan Henson, and Hadestown, TV shows such as Empire, Ray Donovan, The Affair, and films such as Star Wars, The Force Awakens, and Hook. The radio programs like This American Life or even podcasts such as Encounter Party. There are two seasons available now on the Fantasy Network. The total runtime is around 90 minutes, and it's a great addition to your Halloween viewing list. 
visit thefantasy.network and search for The Hunted Encore. Now, Dolpin Dreams fans can receive 20% off of any Charging Moose Media soundtrack or album at chargingmoosemedia.bandcamp.com by using code DOLWHIP at checkout. Now, be sure to drop them a line on Twitter at Charging Moose and Y, or by using hashtag Here Come the Vampires and let them know that Dole Whip and Dream sent you. Stay tuned at the end of the show for a sample of what you can expect from the Haunted Encore. Now, back to the show. Welcome back, dreamers. Today, we, you know, once once a season isn't enough. I've got the boss man himself. No, it's not Mickey Mouse. It is the literal boss of certain POV. It's my buddy, your best friend, Case motherfucking Aiken. Case, welcome back to Dole Up and Dreams, the show that is entirely all your fault. So I... Yeah, welcome back. I'm so happy you're here. <laughs> you know, you know, I'm I'm so happy to be back. Thank you for having me back on. If it's entirely my fault, then I feel that I have actually done something good for the world because I love your show, man. <laughs> oh, thanks so much. I have I have so much fun making it. And I gotta tell you guys, uh, for anyone that's listening, I'm really so we're we're still in COVID times. Weird things are happening. Uh, but I was on Disney property the other day, Disney Springs, and. I was wearing Dole Whip and Dream merchandise because the t-shirts were expensive. So I am wearing the fuck out of my t-shirt. Um, so I had one of our merch t-shirts, which you can get on our Teespring. And I had a girl come up and she goes, oh, I love Dole Whip and Dreams. I just found them recently. Uh, it is so much fun. Don't you love it? And I go, yeah, it's absolutely wonderful. Thank you. So, I'm so glad you like it. And she was like, how long have you been listening? And I was like, I'm Maddie. It's really nice to meet you. And she went, oh, I'm so sorry. So, and I also, it was hot. It was raining. It was Disney Springs the other night. I feel like an asshole. I didn't get your name and we didn't take a socially distanced picture together. So uh, next time you were out, Holler at me on Instagram. Uh, she's very sweet. It was really nice. Uh, you know, we don't have a ton of listeners, but like that stroked the Leo, the most Leo part of my brain. But like, you know, it's it's a little something nice. But I appreciate Case is always the first person that comments on the new episodes on our Discord, which if you aren't on our Discord, what is wrong with you? Oh, yeah, it's so much fun. Come join us. It's so much fun. We also, I just want to... We just added a scream about things in 2020 section of our general section. So literally join us if for no other reason, then we're a bunch of like anxious, gay, queer people. Mostly we, we have some cis people that we allow there too, but like, we're all just <laughs> screaming into the void awkwardly because we're all just sad in 2020 sucks. So just come scream with us. And then, uh, you know, tell Stephen Hans that they're wrong about their uh, their casting that they're doing for their next movie and uh, scream along with Matt and Rachel for Screen Snark because I always agree with everything they have to say uh, and then giggle about what's happening on Nerf Herders. So there's so much to do. I'll wrap up about certain POV later, but join us on our Discord. It's just stupid fun. It's a really nice distraction. And I literally would not be sane without everybody in the network. Uh, so Case, 
Uh, everybody knows you. Give us just a little lead in because I know we've actually gained quite a few listeners in the last couple months. I'm going to thank Miss Covadina for that. Uh, so just tell us a little bit about who you are. Uh, yeah, so I am a, well, at, at this point, mostly a podcaster when it comes to the artist side of mm-hmm. me. Uh, I host three shows on the Certain POV Network, uh, which is Another Pass, which is a uh, movie analysis show where we discuss movies that may have been good, may have been bad. But, like, there's there's a thing where we're like, man, wouldn't it have been cool if they did this? You know, we try to pitch, like, fixes that could have been done mm-hmm. realistically at the time. And, you know, don't, don't go pie in the sky. Don't go, don't go crazy. Try to, like, mm-hmm. be like, all right, yeah, this would have been a really cool show shift that they would have made to make it a little more emotionally resonant or something. Um, and then sometimes we also talk about movies that got it, like movies that like almost went mm-hmm. bad and uh, course corrected at the right moment, like how Star Wars uh, found itself in yeah. the edit. Um, yeah. uh, speaking of Star Wars, I am also the dungeon master for Scruffy Nerf Herders, mm-hmm. which is our Star Wars D20 game. We've been playing that for a long time now uh we we've been going and it's been a lot of fun just doing the like an adventure with a bunch of rebels set between the first mm-hmm. star wars movie and empire strikes back um and then i am also one of the co-hosts of men of steel which is a superman appreciation podcast uh which is just a, a lot of fun just to be try to be positive about heroic archetypes and and really enjoy uh that form of literature so that's uh, that's my three shows uh but you and i know each other from doing theater in new york for years yeah yep. and uh, uh yeah uh, yeah that's yeah. that's me I, I i used to do a lot of theater and now I, I talk now i scream into the void professionally <laughs> uh well and you know a certain point of view are yeah not sorry another pass is so good it is case you and i talked still occasionally after you left i left new york then you left new york and then uh, I kind of bullied you into, uh, I think it was randomly out of the blue, we messaged each other. It was something about uh, another pass. And then literally we have been. I, I mean, it was that I, I told you that, hey, I want to talk about the Power Rangers movie. Do you want to come on and talk about the Power Rangers yes. movie? <laughs> and that was three years ago. And that was, I had so much fun doing that with Case. And I immediately was like, this could be really fun. And then I literally bullied you and Matt, Matt Storm and I bullied you into doing Spice World yep. last summer. And when Case got to the, so do you have anything going on? And I immediately went, yes, I'm launching a Disney movie podcast this fall. So literally it is that, it is Case's fault that Double Up and Dreams exist. And by fault, I am eternally grateful. But also <laughs> I just, uh, another pass is great. I've been on there three times. I've got a couple ideas for, for this next year. I'm going to bully you one or two more times. Get on that show again. Has uh, it been three? I was oh, going to say there was. Time. No, it's yeah, I was four say, now. Because you, oh, I Spice World wasn't your second time. You were, I forgot um, Masters of oh, yeah. the Universe. Yeah. I forgot Masters of the Universe. <laughs> and then we just did Pride of the X-Men, which Case and I literally will talk for hours. <laughs> So I can't wait to see how long this episode is, frankly, for a 77-minute movie. But we did a <laughs> two-and-a-half-hour episode on a 31 or a 22-minute episode X-Men pilot. So, like, it's just there. Also, because I don't shut the fuck up. But um, I'm not a Superman fan, but I love what you all do on Men of Steel because it's – you call it Men of Steel because, again, it's the Superman archetype. You've been covering so much, especially in this last year when you were able to hit on Avatar. Um, and then Scruffy Nerf Herders – uh, recently, you've been doing some amazing, like, one or two offs things that happen with just, like, this one crew that you bring in every once in a while. 
And so you're able to like, I've been able to jump in and out of scruffy nerf herders. Um, I just went back and started downloading from the beginning. So I am about to lock and load from the beginning and listen, but like, it's yeah, been well, really I mean, nice to we, casually we did, jump uh, in and listen with that. With, with scruffy, we did the first 50 episodes as like one mm-hmm. campaign. So it was one big arc with the same crew. You know, there was like a couple ca- like cash shifts over the course of it. And some characters had like their character die and, and, and whatnot. Not, not a big spoiler, just that like character yeah. Change because oh, yeah. it's a D and D game. It's Star Wars. People are going to fucking die. It's, yeah. it's going to happen. So after doing fifty episodes, which was like like so great, and it was like we wrapped it up, and I was like so proud of it, and we wanted to keep going, but you know schedules had started to shift enough mm-hmm. where people who had been main parts of it just weren't able to commit to a biweekly like D and D game that way. Um, and it at that point we'd had some guests on. I was like, how about we do like arcs with people? So th- uh, that was like a great way to like get to know other podcasters better or just people who like are big star Wars fans or, or D and D fans. And uh, we've been able to do like, all right, yeah, we're going to do a two, two spot here or we're gonna do a three spot uh, set at the a space version of the fire festival here, or we're going to do, <laughs> uh, you know, or like have some bounty hunters trying to like uh, chase the thing down. So it's been a lot of fun and it's been a great way to have like a, a varied uh, cast and a like a lot of good mm-hmm. jumping on points for the show. Yeah, because when, when you're at episode 49 of a 50 episode arc, it's hard for you to be like, I'm going to jump on here. Like, that's yes. that's, not, that's not easy to do. Well, it's, it's also hard because, like, you have, like, real job as well outside of this that you were very active in. Plus, you're running this whole network. But, like, also everybody that kind of jumps on and off, they're all network people or friends of yours. So, like, because you also have multiple D&D games running in, in the, the not internet space, but, like, internet space because they're people from D.C., they're people from New York. So, yep. you. You you you've done the most amazing job of like keeping people in the internet space for different parts of your life, and I think it's amazing. So, yeah, well, the internet space has definitely been a, a great yeah. method for connecting with people. I mean, it's so crazy how, how how good a group of friends I have that I've never been in the same room with now, but I talk mm-hmm. to all the time, and also yeah. friends who I used to sit in the same room with all the time, and now I can't. Like you, like we're right. exactly we're all over the country. We're just not able yep. to see each other, like, yep. but we're able to like see each other this way. Yep. So, Case, this was a movie that I remember you and I talked about years back while we were folding T-shirts at The Green Girl. Uh, we, we have talked about this movie so many times. I am going to say a lot of controversial things today about this movie and the, and the rest of the time of Disney movies that this came out about and about a certain person who has been dubbed the enemy of the pod. I, I was oh, curious how we were going to talk about, about that part. Oh, we're going to have a whole lot to say about, and I'm going to recant some things. So y'all better lock in because I'm about to say I was wrong at some point today. And if anyone knows me, you'll pull over. Cause if you're driving this, this might be our Pulitzer episode case. I think this might be our webby. This might be our streaming. <laughs> this might be our, I'm kidding. I'm fucking kidding. Uh, case, what movie are we talking about today? Oh my God. We are talking about, the greatest goddamn movie of the 90s we're talking about a goofy movie a goofy movie uh i oh i'm so happy that we're finally seeing this movie get its due it's literally 25 years later this is the 25th anniversary this year it is amazing um it's also weird to think that people born in 1995 are 25 yeah. um but hi all my 1995ers out there um but yeah this movie Stands the test of time. I'll already jump ahead to what we talk about at the end, but like it's there is not an ounce of problematicness in this that is not supposed to be problematic at that point. And this movie stands up. 
I it is so rewatchable. It is so enjoyable. And I will say it's been a difficult movie to watch over the last few years. It will mysteriously be on a streaming service for 12 and a half hours and then disappear into the void for 14 years. <laughs> It'll then show up at Walmart for $3.75 in the DVD bin and then disappear. Uh, I remember when Hurricane Irma was about to hit. I literally just moved to Florida. Hurricane Irma was happening. What did I buy at Walmart? I bought a like a three gallon bucket of uh, peanut butter stuffed pretzels. I bought butter to make cannabis butter. I bought Doritos. I bought a clothing steamer and I bought a coffee of the a copy of a fucking goofy movie for $5 on DVD at Walmart. Um, so case, why a goofy movie? How is this still resonating with you literally 25 years later? All right. Well, I mean, like this is a movie that hit me at the perfect time for me. Mm -hmm. I'm 36 right now. So I was 11 when this came out and I didn't see it in theaters, but I saw it pretty quickly after when it came out on video. Mm -hmm. And like, man, Max is like he's like a Peter Parker type where Mm -hmm. they're like you can you can really feel for the sort of the. Pardon the pun, the goofiness of the character, but also the yeah. the sort of aspiration to be cool. Like the the it, like Max is a character who I had followed from Goof Troop, which was this was supposed to be a cartoon adaptation of, uh, or rather a a silver screen adaptation of, which I'm sure you'll go over in your uh, your mm-hmm. your forward in our pre show. Yep, uh, because it Ducktales was did this before and did not do mm-hmm. well, and so they pivoted to be more of a standalone, not connected to the mm-hmm. Disney Afternoon brand. Um, but uh, but Max is still a character who I had been following, and like that relationship mm-hmm. was one that I very much uh, appreciated. Like the the idea of Goofy having a kid um, who was struggling to find his place and define himself. Um, and I think actually has like beyond Mm -hmm. this movie, like Max is kind of a a known quantity in Disney property Mm -hmm. stuff. Um, like he has appeared since then, both in an extremely goofy movie, but also since then in other stuff, like he just is known as, and as Mm -hmm. an existing character in a way that, um, not necessarily every spinoff character gets. Yep. Um, but in this movie, he's in that awkward teen phase, but he's trying to be cool and he kind of pulls it off. And so there's yeah. that minute where you're like, maybe I could do that. Maybe I could mm-hmm. be that way. And I, sometimes I wonder if this kind of messed me up for a chunk of my life where I'm like, well, maybe I could finally pull off the cool power line concert mm-hmm. at the school assembly. Who knows? Uh, mm-hmm. But the, the point is it hit at a great time. The music was really good. And I was kind of coming into my own as like understanding mu- like my taste in music. Mm-hmm. Um, and I got to tell you, like the, the, these are some bops like the bops, like the soundtrack bops. as a whole is great. But obviously the power line stuff is what stands out to people. Pardon the pun. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, oh. <laughs> so, yeah. So like Max, like Matt, like Max really stands out as, oh, wow. <laughs> OK, yeah, there we go. Um Max is was just a really easy character to relate to. Uh, mm-hmm. And at the, you know, like I said, I was a preteen and th- I, I wanted to be him because he 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 had all the insecurities that I felt. But he somehow got through it to be cool for a minute and then had his parents like crush him in, in terrible ways in a way that like I think we all can relate to. Like it's a very mm-hmm. understandable relationship. Sure, oh, yeah. it is a very tried and true father son kind of plot, which, uh, you know, I think the biggest criticism of this movie is that it's 
it is a formula to have awkward dad and son di- like dynamic with each other. Mm-hmm. Um, but that doesn't mean that this is a bad representation of that. Like this is a very mm-hmm. good one. And for me as like, a, like w- then when I was like, you know, an 11 year old boy, it was like this, I, I, I relate to this very well. Like, mm-hmm. and, and I wish there were more movies like this for everyone, but like this one was yep. specifically for me. <laughs> yeah. 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 And I, I had the benefit, I will say now as an adult of my dad was goofy growing up. Like my dad is literally like he has used the phrase, I guess I'm just too stupid to get it. And as an adult, I go, don't you pull that shit with me, Paul. Don't (laughs) do it. Don't gaslight me, sir. Um, And don't sell yourself short. You really intelligent man. Um, But yeah, it's, I, Again, I like you. I didn't see this in movie theaters because this came out during a time uh, as a good Southern Baptist child that I was. We were not participating in Disney because they lacked the gays and they were corrupt and they were doing evil things. Because uh, this was the same time that like Hunchback was coming out and Pocahontas and and um, you know it, it, it was weird time. So we weren't seeing things in theaters and um, it's funny to think that like. This got pushed back, and then they quickly were like, well, fuck, I guess let's speed up that weird lion movie that no one's going to want to see. Like, that's the thing. Like, this movie was looked at as still higher at the studio than The Lion King, which cracks my shit up. Um, Because we'll get into it. And it's something that I didn't bring up in the pre-show because I wanted us to talk about it now. This movie is technically not part of the Disney Renaissance. Case, will you tell our listeners at home why? They know why. We talked about it in the pre-show, but I want us to talk about it here. Why isn't this technically a Disney Renaissance film? Well, I think I just kind of mentioned the big part of it, which is it originally was going to be like the the animation team working from the, the Disney Afternoon stuff, mm-hmm. doing its own mm-hmm. like side thing. Again, it was supposed to be a spinoff of, yeah. a goof, of Goof Troop. Which, you know, it's funny. Like, I love this movie so much. Goof Troop is a show mm-hmm. I liked at the time, but it was not it was like, fine. It was not mm-hmm. my favorite of the like Disney afternoon yep. block. Uh, it, yep. It's not even my favorite. It wasn't even my favorite at the time of the Disney afternoon block Mm-mm. of like the the teenage like or preteen like male or like male character kind of focused ones. Like mm-hmm. I, I preferred Quack Pack, <laughs> but a goofy movie. Oh my God. <laughs> it's great. Um, but yeah, yeah, so it was supposed to be like, it was supposed to be like a spinoff and uh, mm-hmm. DuckTales led the way because DuckTales let, you know, was a juggernaut of an animation talent and a, mm-hmm. and a product that Disney put out there in a time before that. Well, was it before or concurrent with the Disney Renaissance when DuckTales first launched? It was concurrent because the DuckTales movie came out in 91. So it means DuckTales, I believe, premiered in 89 or 90. Yeah, I was going to so, say 89. Little so. Mermaid was 89. Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah, because that Disney afternoon block was when the Disney Channel transitioned to being – I believe I'm correct here. I could be wrong. This was about the time that Disney was transitioning Disney Channel away from premium and into uh, a regular cable channel. It was a little bit after this. Um, but that Disney afternoon block was really 
huge and developmental for a lot of people. And it's what they, I believe gummy bears was first and then the other ones came, but you're, yeah, it was, was gummy bears first and yeah. then ducktails, but ducktails is the and one that people DuckTales. like really remember because yes. ducktails like that, that pilot for ducktails was such yes. a high quality product. Mm-hmm. And in general, ducktails was a really quality work. Um, and, and so it made sense. Like, let's make a movie out of that. Let's, mm-hmm. let's do it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then it didn't do well. <laughs> it didn't well, do well and all. it's because it's also because it wasn't, it didn't get a full theatrical release that really in end up almost immediately was shown on Disney channel, like, or it was immediately in prime time. Like it was one of those things that like, they just didn't lean into it. But I remember that movie being amazing as a kid. Uh, we had a, a, a VHS that was recorded off the TV of it. And it was because they had the big wooden mech that was the duck samurai, which was amazing. And magic of the spell was in it. I remember loving that movie. Uh, I couldn't tell you anything else that happened in that movie. I also well, there was like the dark wizard them. who had like the amulet that let him transform yeah. and stuff. And if you put it on top of the lamp because they had a genie in that movie, he would get as many wishes as he wants. Right. I still don't really remember. We'll have to watch it at some point. I don't think it's on Disney Plus. I want it to be on Disney Plus. Hopefully, it'll be on Disney Plus soon because not all the afternoon stuff is on Disney Plus yet. Um, also, Google yeah. movies not on Disney Plus. It is. No, Disney. it is. It is. I watched is it, it last night on Disney Plus. Because it wasn't like a month ago. so I know, I know. It's so weird. <laughs> I popped in my DVD just now because I didn't think it was on Disney+. Plus. So I hope everyone watches it with us, especially if you haven't seen it in a long time. So I, uh, I think it was it, – it must have been added as a result of like the 25th anniversary oh. because for like watch parties. Yeah. Oh, uh, awesome. Because a couple months ago, it all of a sudden became the thing for people to watch. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, and again, part of that was the, the watch party culture that was especially popular at the beginning of the pandemic. Um, but it was trending for a while. I remember a lot of shows that weren't really focused on like either animation or like kids material or Disney stuff. All of a sudden we're talking about it, like the daily zeitgeist. They did like a weekend rewatch of it and then came in and was like, oh yeah, this, this was a cute movie for no one who had actually seen it before. <laughs> right. Right. Well, and this is also something where if you hadn't, watched at all any of goof troop you didn't need that to come into this the only thing you needed to understand was that goofy somehow had a son and no wife and he's doing his level fucking best that's all you needed to know yeah and that pete the old mickey villain is now goofy's next door neighbor which i mean you got from goof troop that was interesting because they made the option not to have his wife or daughter in this. It's more believable in this when you given like what we actually see, like oh, the daughter yeah. was a couple years younger, so she wouldn't have been in the same like class scenario. No. And, and they go camping immediately. So it's like, OK, whatever. Yeah, uh, I just I thought it was interesting that because those are two because a lot of the cast did come back. The The biggest example of the, the person who didn't was the woman who voiced younger Max. And it is because she passed away. But they also made the decision to age them up. Um, and so they went with uh, right. someone who was a voice actor and a pretty well-known teen actor of the time. Um, but like even PJ. Yeah, Jason Marsden, who I, I, I have so much. When, when we get into like talking about voices, I do want to talk about him for a moment yeah. because I do actually really love Jason Marsden as an actor. Well, uh, but but yeah, like uh, it, it kind of worked because he was like the character aging mm-hmm. up. It worked as his yeah. voice change. Oh, like yeah. that was just a part yeah. of growing up and that, that that kind of worked for it. But I have to say, like, so um the last time I was on the show, we were talking about Disney's Tarzan. Um, 
And that movie, I always talk about how it is like a structurally mm-hmm. amazing movie that if you want to talk about like the base, like the foundational components of like screenwriting and like pacing a movie, like mm-hmm. Tarzan is perfect. Like it's it's exactly like a, a wonderful three-act structure that is like very clearly delineated, but at the same time, like they feed into each other and it mm-hmm. works really well. Well, the director of that movie, Kevin Lima, does not have a very big filmography, oh. but he got to start doing fucking yeah, goofy movie. Yeah. <laughs> and I love that. Well, and... And what's interesting about this is actually a couple months ago, I did Sword in the Stone with Greg Melios. And this actually is a really similar story structure and movie structure to Sword in the Stone. Um, Because this has like the three events in the middle that lead up to that big moment, which then just dumps us into power line. Like, um, and so, you know, it's those, those moments that we work up to that. Plus you've got that kind of long beginning to set everything up. Um, Mm-hmm. But again, this is a movie where it doesn't feel long, but it feels like they told a lot of story and we get a lot of exposition. Um, but something for me that really sticks out, and this is the first time I thought this, but I was like, I actually find this. So I'm going to say that I actually consider this as part of the Disney Renaissance because of when it came out, I don't care who animated it. It was still at Disney. I consider this Renaissance because if they consider um rescuers down under disney renaissance this is fucking renaissance and i will yeah because there's a lot of things going for this movie Mm -hmm. that would if it was that that honestly the ducktales movie didn't get like this movie is a a full-on proper Mm -hmm. musical in a way that a lot of animated movies like might have songs but they don't know how to vamp into like this is this is a, a a pure musical it also is a loving tribute to everything disney just beyond like the, the just beyond the fact that it's like a, a goofy property. Mm-hmm. Um, like it's not just goof troop. Like it is, it is way bigger than that. And so well integrated mm-hmm. into a very seamless whole. So that if you're approaching it from the standpoint of a goof troop fan, you'll be like, yep, I see this as a goof troop adaptation. Mm-hmm. But if you don't know it and you just know goofy, it still is like literally a goofy movie. Mm-hmm. Like it is like all those elements are, are there properly. Um, and then again, it's just like, there's a lot of references to Disney mm-hmm. stuff. And, and like I said, it's, it is a, a true musical, like the, mm-hmm. the musical numbers, um, work so well to convey story. And it's the kind of, it's the kind of one that you want an animated musical to be because, mm-hmm. uh, it, it, I, I, I was thinking about it on my, my last couple of rewatches, like, how would you stage it? if it was going to be a stage mm-hmm. show and you can't mm-hmm. really like it, like, I, I mean, you could like, it, you know, with some sort of degree of abstraction or some sort of like, uh, you know, broad set changes or something like that. Mm-hmm. But it really takes advantage of the fact that it's a travel story. So you can yeah. have these vast locations, but they, it has a consistent cast of people throughout the travel mm-hmm. period because there's mm-hmm. like really great stuff with that. Um, and it works really well to sort of make this feeling of being like a stage show. Um, but, but taking advantage of the medium. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and we all love a you love a buddy movie. You love a travel mo- movie. This is this has a lot of like what I love about the National Lampoon's movies, the the vacation movies. This mm-hmm. is this you know this is a movie that appeals. I find that like there was so much for the parents in this as well as the kids, um, because the humor is insanely intelligent. Um, I don't find the cheap shots that are there are things that would have been in any animated film, but I don't, a lot of it, I don't consider cheap. Maybe, maybe Bigfoot, I consider cheap and cheesy, but like the, the, the possum sideshow being, Oh my God, I love that number. Lester's possum park. (laughs) Lester's possum park, which is such a parody of the country bear jamboree, like such the parody, like, and it's, it's making fun of like, 
um, Club Disney and and um, Chuck, like, e. Chuck Cheese. E. Cheese. Like, yeah. Oh yeah, it's one of those things that like it is. It is so blissfully aware of what it is, um, which is I think why it's so successful. Because also, you've got adults who were making a movie for everyone, and they weren't just trying to sell it to kids because. What they were actually trying to do was make a movie that developed Goofy into a three-dimensional emotional character, which is something in his 50 years existing to this point, 55 years, had never happened for him. Donald had had some development, Daisy existed, even Pluto had gotten some development, but Goofy never got development in the way, and that can come back to the fact that Goofy is based on black archetypes of vaudeville and minstrelsy. I was wondering um, if we were going to talk about that. <laughs> I, I, so I'm not going to sit there is either going to be an after show portion or an extra episode that's going with this, that uh, there were some awesome articles going around the last couple of years about this movie paralleling black identity in the nineties. And because that is not something I feel that I should have an opinion on other than being supportive. Uh, maybe we're going to have a special episode for everybody. Um, but it's one of those things that just knowing what Goofy was created out of um, and that they it's one of those like subtle racist heritage things that we have with the company that while you might look at him and go, but it's Goofy. But you have to understand the industry and like where. There are five ideas and character archetypes come out of anywhere. And so for. Uh, you know, this, uh, okay. I think we need to jump in. So I'm sure I talk about it in the pre-show. Everyone is going to listen to me, stick my foot in my mouth today, because this was Jeffrey Katzenberg's pet project at Disney. Everyone hated the idea of this movie. It was actually just going to be a special, like a primetime special for television at one point. Um, But Katzenberg pushed, and this was actually what led to more fights with Eisner as well. I mean, also, like, everything that was happening at the studio with Lion King and everything, that were just constant fights with with, between Katzenberg and Eisner. The enemy of the pod is a joke. I'm going to say it's a joke. He's done incredible things. I I would say that at the moment, he's deep frenemy of the pod. He's deep frenemy of the pod. Um, So honestly, he was super passionate about this movie because uh, he'd had a falling out with his daughter as she got older, which is something that I feel like not a lot of dads talk about and not a lot of women talk about that. Like they had a point where Alana Glazer makes this. Oh, no, no, no. It's in Princess Diaries. Lily makes a joke of. I haven't really had a conversation with my dad since I was 12 when we ran out of things to talk about. And I think that's actually a really interesting look and especially fathers and daughters because fathers and sons, we see like Pete and PJ have this awful toxic masculine relationship, which was coming out of the eighties and coming out of like the, what dads were, so you know, like Pete was what all the dads were like. And so like, for me, I was more like PJ than Max, but like having a dad who was goofy when all the rest of the dads around us were like Pete. Um, it, it is that thing of Goofy's also a little, I'm not going to use the word feminine, but Goofy's soft. He's caring. He's loving. And there's that great moment. This, I'm just going to say, this episode is going to be scatterbrained as hell, you guys. I wanted to give it structure, but there's just no way I'm going to be able to talk about this movie structure. Um, there's that great movie where Goofy says, he loves me, and Pete goes, PJ respects me, which is the grossest 90s dad thing that anyone could say, but it is supposed to be the difference between Pete and Goofy. 
It is supposed to be the difference between the two of them. So yeah, re- was, rewatching this movie as an adult, I kept thinking about like, man, PJ's fucked up now. Yeah. Like, oh yeah. Yeah. Like the, the, that's not a healthy grow up. And like, cause, cause at the time I was always like, oh yeah, PJ's cool. Like he, in spite of his dad, mm-hmm. he's, he's cool. But like now I'm yeah. like, oh no, he's definitely messed up. <laughs> well, we even saw that in an extremely goofy movie when they're at college together and PJ's not doing real well, but like Max was doing terrible. Max and Bobby were doing shitty too. So like, Whatever. Um, but like <laughs> anyone is, who's in an extremely goofy movie is not doing particularly well. <laughs> nope. I mean, the extremely goofy movie wasn't doing too well. But what I'm going to say is, Case did an awesome another past episode of of an extremely goofy movie that you guys need to go over and listen to after this, uh, so you get to hear Case talk about both of these. But since then, I was always like, Case, we need to do goofy movie on another pass. And then I was like, Fuck it, we're doing it on Joe Up and Dreams. Yeah, this no, we were show. never going to do like <laughs> if anything, no, this would have been like one of the the cool. movies that course corrected because yeah, this well, movie is so close to perfect in for so right. many ways. Oh. I agree. And so, yeah, it was one that there was just no way to put that on another pass. And you and I wanted to talk about it. And so I, the whole year, I was like, (laughs) don't call me out like that, but you, you're right. It's like between that and Ashley Griffin going, when are we going to talk about something for people to listen to? Ashley, I love you. (laughs) Uh, We just, uh, you know, she was just on our snow white episode before this. Um, But you know, it's, you know, a couple friends going, we just need to talk on air about Disney. And so that's how this came to be. But so again, I'm rambling. Um, Jeffrey Katzenberg had fallen out with his yeah, daughter. The Gershwin Squad, like it's it's strong, man. It's true. <laughs> it's so true. But um, yeah, it's so true. Uh, but so Jeffrey Katzenberg had fallen out with his daughter, which is I think very common, especially in the 80s and 90s, uh, with his teenage daughter, and they went on a road trip together, and so that's when the Goof Troop movie developed in and the company wanted to do a goofy movie that's the thing the the disney corporation did want to do a movie about goofy which is interesting because he's the first of the fab five that gets their own movie in a way that is modern and real it's it this watches like an, a season of a 90s sitcom in so many ways it watches like family matters it watches mm-hmm. like saved by the bell or not saved by the bell um step by step it watches like a tgif show it's it's aged up in that appropriate way and so this movie was really a love letter from katzenberg and then when he was fired they still had that contract with him because he was producing this and so essentially the eisner and disney were they were just looking at this as a country like this is all over the wikipedia it's all over the articles it's all over in an interview with katzenberg it's all over the um special features the special features of this dvd are fucked everyone is so nasty uh like it's the one time where normally everyone's like oh yeah it was such a great experience and they were like this movie was a movie what do you want to talk about and it's like eisner always has that fake magic bullshit on and he just does not in the behind the scenes of this and so uh, but so like i give jeffrey katzenberg a lot of shit but like it's obvious he poured a personal experience and i feel like this is the manifest of his failure in his time of not understanding animation this is proof of what he learned in his 10 years at disney um in how like he was more than prepared to run dreamworks when he left disney because of the mistakes that he made at disney because then they got fucking prince of egypt that movie is iconic. It is one of the most beautiful movies that's ever existed. 
it it is better than most Disney animated films. I would say in many ways, like it's beautiful. Uh, it's one of it's one of the classics of the second half of the twentieth century. Oh, like, absolutely, and it outshows in a way that like if you like if you roll your eyes because it has like a religious like a religious subject matter, like you're you're not embracing the Who fact cares? that it is such a wonderful, beautiful right. work of art. Right. And it might not have done financially well, which is why the Joseph sequel, which is also just as good. If anybody's watched it, go watch it. It's streaming everywhere. It went straight to DVD. Beautiful Stephen uh, Schwartz score. I, I'm going to say that Beautiful. the Joseph sequel is a uh, a silver medal to the oh, silver medal to the Prince of Egypt's gold medal. But like, it's not like Mulan two or the Jungle Book. No, 2. it is definitely not a directed video. No, thing. no, <laughs> you, and you could tell that they just made a really good movie and then made it direct to DVD. Oh, VHS two at that point. But you know, so it's one of those things that like. I can hate on Katzenberg because of his treatment of Howard Ashman of gutting Disney animation. But this movie, one, it looks like classic Disney animation. It looks like those great movies of the 70s and 80s still. It is such a callback. It is because like those French animators learned and mimicked that classic Disney style. There's something so... There is a texture to this movie that does not exist in the rest of the Disney Renaissance. There is that it it feels like a, a, a super fine vellum has been put on top of a cell and it's textured. It's got a little bit of a sepia tone to it. There's a softness. It makes this movie so much fun to watch because there are great shots where like they use the new camera technology like when when they're in the water and they're about to go down the waterfall there's that zoom in of you go past goofy and you're from mass max's perspective and you're from goofy's perspective and that is purely post beauty and the beast post lion king videography through animation but it's got that like fox and the hound great mouse detective look to it because of who was animating it and i would argue this looks a thousand times better than anything Toon Disney or Toon Studios ever put out for television. 100%. Like you could tell they were still, they, those animators knew they were producing a, a feature film. It yeah. Is, the, and, the, the only thing that might compete is the actual pilot for DuckTales because that yes. is truly a, a, a work of art also. Yes. But, it's, but yeah, uh, it's also beautiful. It, it also, the technology hasn't really like mm-hmm. hadn't got here yet. Like this is yeah. such a wonderful integration of, of everything. And, mm-hmm. and you know, like to, to your point about, um, about Jeffrey Katzenberg, like I think everyone has like a, like stories that they have to tell that are true pathos, emotional things. Mm -hmm. And this is the one that he put out there. Like Mm -hmm. it it might not be, it might not be the most progressive story in terms of, or that's Mm -hmm. probably the wrong term. Like it it probably isn't moving the needle forward, but it doesn't change the fact that it's 100% true. Like, like emotionally speaking, like he, this is, this is the story that he (laughs) needed to put out there in the world. And I'm so glad that he did. Well, and I'm going to say it, this is the most relatable Disney story of 89 to 2000 because the rest are fanciful and you can take elements away but like i directly connect with max i directly connect with pj um like it's one of those things that like having i don't want to call it slice of life but having something that was grounded in the realism of 90s you the usa 90s you know everywhere usa because wherever the goofy and max live wherever that is um that 
it's so tangible and it's so easy to connect with. It was easy to connect with in the way that the an the exploitively emotional animal movies of the Disney nineties were easy to connect with. Um, like Homeward Bound. Everyone connected with it because you got sad that Shadow was probably gonna die, and you got so upset because you're watching a dog die. <laughs> like yeah. you know, but they still had whimsy and fantasy in this, like. Could we maybe have done without the entire Bigfoot section? Yeah. That's one of those things you could completely cut because it's literally only there for them to fall asleep in the car so that you, oh, I'm going to put a pin uh, in. I, I don't think so. I think there's a couple key spots in that. I, I like I mean, you've, you've, are, you've passed but, the Bigfoot scene and I, I actually will no. defend it, but um, I, like just generally speaking, like I, we'll get into the structure of it. We'll we'll talk yeah. about all that. But like I do want to I do want to bring up that the reason why Goofy has been able to kind of function as a protagonist for a major movie in the modern era in a way that Mickey didn't, Donald didn't, um, mm-hmm. is that like classic Goofy cartoons. Like Goofy has always been kind of a cipher. Like yes, there's this mm-hmm. like coding that I I do think is very important to to discuss. Mm-hmm. And I am not the person to really discuss it. Uh, right, I was right. I was very touched that there was that element and that it was so relatable mm-hmm. and that maybe that like that's been a helpful component. Um, but also, I I can't speak to the experience and I don't really want right. to like I I don't want to put too much on my foot in my mouth. I did just record an episode about Cloud Atlas for my show, uh, which uh, was an interesting decision for. <laughs> for me to do um but but goofy has always been a cipher like his cartoons he mm-hmm. j- he switches jobs he's he's a common man who has um less than normal faculties being thrust into situations that are supposed to be like what people are mm-hmm. put into like his his classic shorts mm-hmm. of like the 50s and 60s were usually like all right so you're going camping this is like the steps you have to take or mm-hmm. oh you're gonna go do this job and like how does he bungle it because he's goofy ah it's so crazy mm-hmm. um that's a perfect fit for the 90s and this movie takes that kind of trope which is why like his job can change from movie to movie like as it does between this mm-hmm. and extremely goofy movie or from the tv show to this uh because it doesn't matter the point is that we have pardon me the point is that we have the this cipher who we uh, can put any him in any sort of context, but he's always going to be the working man trying to do his best mm-hmm. and bungling in some way. But we love him in spite of that. And now we add the additional burden of being a father too, uh, mm-hmm. which I think well, just is so nice. But that's why it's a goofy movie because he's mm-hmm. he's doing the same thing he's always been doing, but it's now even more stakes because he has a son to to deal with, and that son, yeah is an audience viewpoint character in a sense, because he sees his dad the way that we've always been seeing his dad. Yep. Yep. And, and the way that a lot of us see our parents in a lot of ways. And what's interesting is 95 is kind of a pivotal time because we've got like my so-called life on television. We've got a goofy movie empire records comes out the same year, which it's these like working class kids. Because like before that we had, like the Ferris Bueller working Marty McFly working class kid who isn't really the American working class. They're that like Hollywood middle class, but like we're actually seeing these kids who are like legitimately from, and like even the craft comes out at this time um, around this time where, you know, you're seeing these actual working class 
fuck ups or these working class weirdos. Oh, for, you know, freaks and geeks is would be just a little bit after this, but like, um, mm-hmm. you know, it's it's that time we're seeing this is the right time to tell this story because this was the story that a lot of Americans were being told because we're settling into that. People realized that what was happening during the Reagan era in the eighties and the trickle down was a lie. And so people have now been dealing with that economically for 10, 12 years. And so this is, you know, and that's us putting a huge socio-political lens on this, but I think it's really interesting having goofy working essentially at like a Walmart Kmart, as at like in the photo mm-hmm. center, but like making Pete his boss, but they're essentially the same job, but like having Pete be, it's that idea that like there is such a difference between you and the management and the management represents. Yeah. The man. Like Pete's so much worse at that job yeah. than Goofy is, but like, like Goofy's a natural Pete, but Pete's the one who gets the big bucks. Pete, right. Pete can afford the big RV. Well, but Pete, yeah, I mean, Pete has like you bring up the Reagan era stuff. Well, and you you mentioned how so you brought up uh, vacation before mm-hmm. National Lampoon's Vacation, and I think that's a good thing to reference in, in in this. Not just because this is a travel movie, but also so like the original National Lampoon's Vacation is like a very eighties filter mm-hmm. on a fifties concept. Like yeah. so, it's based on um, what was it? Uh, how I spent my summer vacation or yep. it was an, an actual article in the national lampoon. Um, was that John? It was John Hughes who wrote that. Yes. Um, and, and so that the decision to make it, instead of being a flashback to the fifties to being set in the eighties was a decision to have the character perspective go from being the young boy in the back seat to being the dad driving the car. Uh, mm-hmm. and that was the eighties. And now we get to the nineties and now we have, instead of it being like the boy in the back seat who, kind of looks up to your dad and you're trying to like, you're the dad trying to impress the, like the boy in the backseat. Now the boy is a teenager and he has sass. Like that's where we get to with this movie. Like there, there is a natural progression there because it's the boomer who is now not just a, a yuppie who is like, you know, whatever, like eighties, whatever, but he's now like the nineties one. Who's like starting to lose or starting to realize Mm -hmm. that uh, the generation is now, uh, moving past him. He's no longer necessarily the center of the story. Like mm-hmm. Max is the hero. I would still, I would still say it's a, it is a legitimate goofy movie and that he is very strongly one of the deuteragonists, but like the, the, we open with Max and Max's journey is the journey that we care about. Um, and mm-hmm. goofy struggles throughout the whole movie to sit, to understand that. So like he, you know, th- there's a the whole point where Max says, uh, I like I have my own, my own life now. And he says, I know that I just want to be part of that. Like that is oh. such an, uh, like it's such a gut punch when he says that. Uh, and especially yeah. now as an adult. Like, But yeah, it, like it's but that is a journey that we all have to take. And, uh, you know, mm-hmm. I, I think I, I, I think about and I discuss sometimes on my shows. But what I, I think about a lot with like our media is how it teaches us lessons and teaches us to, to handle situations that we all go through. Um, and that's why it's good to have like more viewpoints and more, you know, all all kinds of stories out there, but it's also like, but it's, it's important for us to, um, for us to process and handle things. Just like when I was 11, Mm -hmm. I was processing Max's story in this and how I wanted to go through junior high and high school. Um, Like it's also important for us to look and see like how, how do fathers handle their son's, kind of becoming the star of the show. Like how, how does mm-hmm. that work? And it's, it is a nice thing that we talk about in this movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, 
Yeah, it's it's because it's this movie is so much deeper than we think it is. And it's it's so deeply layered. And there's that that, that I literally was sitting here and I was like, one, I felt like such an old man because I was sitting here like soaking my feet after working this week. <laughs> it was really it was really just so I could like do toenails and like scrub my feet down and like be be a prissy Florida bitch because I wear sandals now. Um, but like it was one of those like I was sitting here in an oversized T-shirt with a sweatshirt on eating Werther, it's sugar-free Werther's original soaking my feet. And I was like, who is this man? Who is this person? <laughs> but yeah, it's hmm. so let's jump in. Let's talk story now. Like there what are some really effect like we've talked about a few of them. What are some really effective beats? or effective use of storytelling for you in this um we this can be like production wise as well what are some effective things that you really think work well in this movie um so like i mentioned the, the music is amazing in this whole the, the mm-hmm. whole thing it, it is so wonderfully done and it does a really great job of kind of like moving the scenes forward um and really giving a sort of a um a sense of adventure that you might not mm-hmm. get otherwise um but I guess, I guess, I don't know where, where, where to start on this whole thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we open the dream sequence, which is kind of nice because um, mm-hmm. most audience members won't be as familiar with Max uh, going into mm-hmm. it. So it's very nice that we kind of like establish the character and what he wants pretty quickly. Um, it, you know, even if you're a goof troop fan, it, this is a new Max, like the, 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 the Max of goof troop, I don't think ever had like a love interest or anything. He was supposed to be like 10. No. It, you know, it was very mm-hmm. explicitly like a, a preteen uh, and the the evolution of this character to having those kind of impulses. And man, like Roxanne is such like a, the the archetype of the like I like first love kind of thing. And, and you know, oh, it's not yeah. it's not unique. It's like literally just like super archetypal. Um, but we get that sort of established uh, character right there. Um, and then we, we we jump to immediately him waking up the the mess of his room. We get wonderful uh, storytelling beats where we set up the power line stuff with the uh, the cutout that he has in his uh, mm-hmm. in his room. We oh, set up the, the posters. With his dad, it's it's really wonderfully sort of conveying the emotions of the characters and like their dynamic. Like Goofy tries to be an authority figure, but Max kind of ignores him. Mm-hmm. Um, you know. Great stuff. But for that first chunk of the movie, it's a Max story. Like it's, it's mm-hmm. a high school story or a, a middle school story. You know, it's all about him impressing the girl and doing this thing. Uh, we get like weird ass cameos. Like uh, Joey Lawrence is there. The girl who played six from blossom mm-hmm. is, is there. Uh, mm-hmm. e- even Roxanne is a, like a, a nice shout out. It's um, uh, mm-hmm. it is Kelly Martin who <laughs> like, mm-hmm. I know as a live actress uh, from Christie, uh, but I actually know her best from being Daphne on a pup named Scooby-Doo. <laughs> absolutely great great fucking voice cast and also uh jason marsden coming in uh I'll give the shout out here i actually mm-hmm. knew him before this uh because he was a part on boy meets world oh yeah uh, and has been yeah. a vo- and since then has been a voice actor for everything including young superman on the superman animated series yes yes uh, he is also aaron lazar is the singing voice of max and he is one of the newsies Okay. Yeah. Right. And then, I mean, then we get, and, you know, and so he was in the rent movie and he was in the rent movie as well. 
okay, I can't picture which one he is, but uh, we get some amazing like other voices in there. Pauly Shore is like the teenagers stunt casting, but he's mm-hmm. fine. Rob Paulson uh, reprises his role as PJ, and he's great in that. And Rob Paulson is an amazing voice actor who mm-hmm. I have you talked about him yet on this show specifically? Like we, I don't think we have yet. Yeah, uh, but I mean, like most people our age know him first from Raphael on Ninja Turtles, but then mm-hmm. he went on to be mm-hmm. um, uh, he was Yakko Warner, he was uh, Pinky on Pinky in the Brain uh, with later Turtle stuff. <laughs> he was Donatello, um, and he has since just been in like everything. But as PJ, he was great, and mm-hmm. um, we have that nice relationship between Max and PJ as like two very believable best friends in high school. Um, mm-hmm. Wallace Shawn is the principal. Uh, which is just such it's perfect so casting. It's so good. It's uh, and Max pulls off a really cool stunt, and it should have been dumb. Like no real world scenario version of that would have actually worked. Uh, it is an impossible situation, and he's so goddamn cool. But he gets in just enough trouble that we get the catalyst for it, where Walsh Sean's able to scare yeah. his dad uh, with yeah. wonderful yeah. specific word usage right there, because like Pete. They gave a whole speech about how, like, he'll be dressed up in, like, he'll be joining gangs and starting riots and shit. Uh, mm-hmm. Not verbatim. Then <laughs> later, Walshon's like, just yeah. as a gang member, started a riot. Like, uh, just like wonderful setup for that whole dynamic. And then, you know, mm-hmm. basically, Max uh, rides his whole high home, and we break into two with him, like, walking up to his the house. And his dad is like, all your plans are gone. <laughs> They're just gone, guy. <laughs> Yeah, it's oh, I'm so sorry. I blanked. Out. I was reading. I was reading. Oh, I wasn't uh, sure if you were chatting. No. reading. <laughs> oh, no, 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 it was me. Sorry, <laughs> sorry. It's it's. I read something about a dead pixel, and I literally spaced out. But but yeah, it's this voice cast is incredible because even there are such some of the other like characters that are like the 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 like three other female characters that are in this movie that are like the other women or like the um the waitress at the diner. Uh, after they've had their fight, like they're, they're all these iconic little voices that are just, it's, it, again, it felt like a lot of these characters were also, also Jim Cummings as Pete. Like, I think we, we glossed yeah, over oh him, yeah. but like the iconic voice actor who Disney loves Jim Cummings. Uh, like, I mean, mm-hmm. Winnie the Pooh, he's Hondo now in the Star Wars universe. He is the voice of Galaxy's Edge, one of them. Um, like this, it's just, these were all actors who you could also turn around and would see in a live action mo- movie at this point. So it's, it's it again, it's this moment of, it happens to be a movie about Goofy that could be so easily rooted in reality, which I think is just such an effective use of storytelling. Um, But I'm going to say something that, for me, really sells this along with the underscoring. Because when you talk about music, the underscoring of this is utter perfection. Um, But Mm -hmm. I want to talk about the lighting design of this movie. The lighting is breathtaking. Um, And it's just, it's so good. Because there are those moments of... it's those moments of they use it to like show Goofy's confidence wavering and they'll like light it's when, so when Pete and Goofy are in the hot tub, they use that blue saturated light to light from under. So you're only getting like their jowls and it's casting these shadows or that imposing 
orange light that comes from the glove box. Um, there are just all these moments yeah. that they accentuate all of these great moments and all of these things with the right amount of darkness, the right amount of light. They lit this like I would light a theater production. Like you talked about. Or, how, or, oh, oh my God. Go ahead. Yeah, yeah, the yeah. blue light special. Blue the light blue light special, special in aisle two. Oh. What is it's like, like we're talking about such wonderful use of things because like it, it like it's just I mean, this is the issue of like when trying to talk, like lighting design is such an interesting mm-hmm. thing to talk about in animation, because mm-hmm. in theory, you can do so much more. But it's so much harder than just in a, if you're filming it or if you're doing a, a theatrical work or mm-hmm. not a theatrical, a, a, a work of theater, a, a like where lighting is so important because that's uh, the, the tricks that you really have. And you could just set a light there and you can just do something mm-hmm. really cool. But it's way harder to do that in animation, or at least traditionally it was. And this is one of those areas where like the improvements in the technology allowed them to do things that would have been cost prohibitive uh, Mm -hmm. five years earlier. Yeah. It's, it's, and it's just so wonderful because it also like, it goes with that texture I talked about earlier. Like it makes this movie seem so classic, but so modern and so interesting. There's just so much, there's just so much that makes this movie. Like it's just so rich and I want to watch more of it. And they're just, I mean, it's even like the lighting when Max's power line, when he bursts through. And so you've got this, you've got the haze and you've got like the screen lighting with the, it's, it's, it's obvious that they had a lighting team. There is two lighting designers credited in the credits. I watched the credits of this and it's really interesting. There's a props designer in this movie. This movie had a props designer, which then if you think about all of the items that get touched and we see and how like they wiggle, um, if something is supposed to be a certain texture, it moves like it's that texture. You mean like the Leaning Tower of Chisa? Leaning Tower of Chisa. I mean, they're just like any the way the paper moves, the pamphlets. um, It's there's just so much that was so that I would even say isn't present in those kind of shiny Matt painted like the big movies. Like it's, it's one of those where something about how they made this, there's so much more texture and interest than in some of the scenes of beauty and the beast where it's all very bright and shiny. And they had to add so many layers of texture to not make it look flat. This looks flat, but then can I tell you, this actually looks like a Sunday comic page. Because in mo- for most people who didn't read the Sunday comics growing up, there's com- there were comic strips every day, and they were always black and white, but Sundays were in color. And so this has some of that same saturation. It's got the texture of the newspaper print. Um, again, I don't know why I keep going back to the texture of this movie, but for some reason it's important to me and like how we watch it. Um, but even like the lighting design of the Powerline concert in like doing full washes of like red, but then so everybody is lined in green and then doing a teal wash. So everyone's lined in orange, like fuck off. That's so smart. Those are things that like we, we, you know, how Binkley wasn't even doing with Hamilton and he's like a genius lighting designer who just passed away, unfortunately. But like, and for me, there were just those moments that, and it just, it made it, I felt my body 
registering this psychological connection I have with the color through film, which we all, it's there, but we don't realize it's there. And it's, it's such an effective use of color and lighting. And I think it is one of the most successful parts of this movie. Um, also with it, the sound design. So like we talked about the scene where Goofy's like, I just want to be a part of it. Well, they are watching where Goofy is floating in and out of rock formations And when he is under them, he echoes. When he's not, he doesn't echo. That would have been something really easy for them to not do. Like, none of that is in Little Mermaid. There's none of that kind of sound design in Little Mermaid. But it's in this Mm -hmm. movie, and it, it... it sets it apart. So, like, fuck that fifty six percent. Oh, oh my god, yeah. Uh, let, let's actually like hit the um, the okay. big beats though, because you asked about structure first, and like, I, I would yeah. like to kind of <laughs> like to have some structure. For this. Yeah. Let's so go the, the first act yeah, is Max's let's, let's story. Start. The first act is Max uh, succeeding mm-hmm. at getting the date with Roxanne, and then Goofy derails it. And that's the break into two right there. He like comes home. Mm-hmm. He's uh, he's got a basswood. Uh, ba- no, he's got a backwards baseball cap. He just did a skate number to a reprise of the the best song in the movie like uh, there's uh, some real bops throughout this whole movie but i are not uh, part of oh, uh, yeah. standout is so good standout is like part of my workout mix still to this day it has always been mm-hmm. it is it's just so such good. a good it's goddamn so song good. and it it is a it so fits as a pop song it also is a very like um apt for the scene kind of number in a way that like mm-hmm. all, all the numbers in this are, are very good um but you know we got like a great i want song with after today um, or at least mm-hmm. the setup for the character and like what, like all of his aspirations. But we, we finally win like the, that first third of the movie as it were, mm-hmm. like the first act of the movie is such a, like a great victory for Max. Then goofy derails it. And we get this, like, like the, the road trip portion of it going from them hitting the road, uh, technically when he like goes and like uh, lies to, <laughs> lies to Roxanne about what they're doing. Um, but them hitting the road and it's so depressing for Max. It's like all the weight and uh, pressure of having your, your power of action, which he up until that point had actually like uh, been again, very capable. Like he had been able Mm -hmm. to do a thing and be cool. And he got a standing ovation from like all the people at school and like his, in his world, he had all of a sudden ascended. And then all of a sudden, like his ability to control his destiny was stripped away from him completely by his dad. Uh, and yep. he is stuck in the car, unable to have any control over anything, including the music and, uh, goes to oh, all these yeah. things that he hates. And it's so terrible. And there is a turnaround with the Bigfoot scene, which is uh, when both of them are kind of confronted with adversity. And it's the first time both of them mm-hmm. have to deal with adversity. Um, but, but then we get to see them have like the fun and games of the, of the travel stuff, all the road trip components mm-hmm. where then for a bit there, they're a team. Um, right. Only for the, the deception that Max like kind of like set the tone for or, or planted the seeds for mm-hmm. uh, to, to bear fruit uh, with, them making or with goofy being aware that max had altered the map um and so we right. get this this sort of uh <laughs> the, the the big break into two is them like having this uh the i would say that the all is lost moment is frankly when um when, when goofy comes to think that max has betrayed him um you, you can make some arguments yeah. about like that because then there's then there's the car chase and then them floating and then the the actual chase and the, the waterfall um with the waterfall and the perfect cast which by the, the perfect cast is such a good thing that we're going to talk about um it's so good it's uh, we so get good. to we like we we get them like the the second act the middle of the movie 
is the the actual relationship between father and son and them kind, kind of understanding mm-hmm. how they fit into each other's lives and what they're learning from one another. And then they come together to then go to the Powerline concert. Um, so yeah. everything that happens in the second act is us taking the dynamics. And the first act is us learning what Max is. And Goofy is a known quantity to the pop culture. Uh, the second act is them butting off of each other until eventually they kind of work with each other, um, mm-hmm. have a mi- moment of friction, and then they come together perfectly. And then the third act is them as a team <laughs> breaking into a major concert in L.A. and <laughs> getting on TV, uh, which is quickly, just absurd, yeah. but, um, but wonderful. Uh, absurd. But, but that's why I say it's it's great. And this is, again, I want to shout out Kevin Lima, who does not have a big filmography. Like, he has three mm-hmm. huge movies, um, at least for me and, and in my household, which is this, Tarzan, and Enchanted. Yeah. Uh, then he's got, like, a lot of deals, and he worked on a lot of things. But, like, he just doesn't have a huge filmography as director. Uh, but mm-hmm. his his actual ability to pace a movie is incredible. Uh, like the so when when you look at the, the act two, where like because like again the, the third act is fairly straightforward. Like they go and they break into the the Powerline concert and they they win. And mm-hmm. the song is great. It's not as good. Like Eye to Eye is not as good to stand out, but the song is still good. Uh, the lighting effects are amazing. Mm-hmm. It's all it's all a lot of fun. And Max like ultimately fesses up to Roxanne, and you know it's great. She she still likes him because. It is still a 90s coming-of-age movie. Like, okay, fine. Yes, it um, is. Ultimately, but the, yes. But the middle part, we have so many wonderful points where Goofy is trying so damn hard to be a good dad and his son feeling mm-hmm. like all those efforts mm-hmm. are just making him feel less and less of a, of his own person, like being more of a child. Like, Lester's Possum Park mm-hmm. is also great because he's taken to a place where it's a lot of kids and it's like the parents and the kids are appreciating it, it but he's like the one teenager mm-hmm. in it. Like, I remember being like... Yeah a 12 year old going to Disney like, and feeling like mm-hmm. I'm somewhere in the middle here. I, I, I distinctly remember uh, a trip that my family did uh, at when I was 17 going to Disney and I felt so out of place everywhere. Like I didn't feel mm-hmm. like a kid. I didn't feel, I couldn't go to any of the adult stuff. I, it was just wrong. Like I just, it was not, yeah. it wasn't the place for me. And that's where Max is for all of that. Like Lester's Possum Park is uh, so cute and adorable from us as an audience standpoint. But if you think mm-hmm. that you're being su- subjugated it, uh, to it as if this is the type of thing that's meant for you, uh, that is stripping your adulthood away from you. Uh, then they go yep. uh, to the, the camping scene and they are confronted with Bigfoot. And the reason why Bigfoot for me, I think is a, a, a actually a really solid scene is that they get stuck in the car together and it's not about goofy falling asleep and max like changing the map like that happens mm-hmm. but it's there them actually having a heart to heart where for a moment yeah. and it's really the first time i think any audience member sees goofy as a human uh <laughs> like or as like i mean or, like or as a three-dimensional adult because you know again goofy's a pop culture figure who is mostly a cipher where he can bungle a job but mm-hmm. for a minute there yeah. he's talking about his relationship with his father and how his dad mm-hmm. taught him things and his dad is clearly dead and how it meant so much to him. Yeah. It's like, here's some tricks. Like we've got weird buck teeth. We can open cans with it. Um, and he talks mm-hmm. about some of his memories of Max as a, as a baby with the high dad soup and how that meant so much to him. And those are those moments where we really see what goofy is trying to hold on to and what matters so much to him, both like the memories of his father, because the road trip is him connecting not just with his son, but with his dead father. 
Um, like mm-hmm. that's a really important part there. And Max doesn't remember high dad soup. So like, it's a right. thing he did, but like he, he, it's him for the first moment, actually kind of re- remembering that and seeing his dad's relationship with his father. Like, like my father's father mm-hmm. passed away before I was born. Um, and that has always been sort of a thing that uh, like has always been like this element of mystery and this element of nostalgia mm-hmm. for my dad. And like, these like these things of just like trying to connect to this man who no longer exists uh, by way of the bridge of a man who is very much in my life um, and who has Mm -hmm. like kind of relationships. And I think I'm getting kind of emotional talking about it. Cause like, I think it's very true. Like, again, it's not that, you know, the worst thing you can say about this movie is that it is a story that has been told a bunch of times, but I think it's, it is a very true story that's told very well and sure it's goofy, pardon the pun that they encounter Bigfoot out there, but you know what? It's also mm-hmm. very much like a thing that like fifties goofy would do. <laughs> like I'm not, absolutely. Con- I, I haven't had a chance to like research it in the 25 years this movie has existed, but like, I wouldn't be surprised if that exact model of, of Bigfoot was something that, that, that goofy encountered in some right. like 1965 right. short, like it, cause right. it fits. Um, and it, it's a stake that they deal with that doesn't really matter long-term. It could have been anything, but it just had to trap them in their car for a chunk of time. It could have just as easily been, mm-hmm. they had a flat tire and they were waiting for the tow. Um, but we also get some seventies music stuff, which is fun. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so that, that's all great. Well, and, like, and then after that point, forward. they are a team and like, like they start to learn each other's flow. Like Max becomes the navigator mm-hmm. for that point. For, and so for the remainder of act two, they, uh, like they, they bounce off each other and like come to a point where they are trying to work with each other and compromise on things. Like mm-hmm. Max starts picking uh, destinations that he really likes and he sees that Goofy's not enjoying it. So he starts picking ones that Goofy likes too. And they sort of create this equilibrium, like this give and take, which is an mm-hmm. adult relationship. It's like what parents and yeah. children need to come to. Uh, because at first Max doesn't want any part of his dad's relationship. He he says, if you're gone for more than a month, drop me a line, which is such a cavalier. Like, I don't want you anywhere near right. me right now. And Goofy doesn't care mm-hmm. about what Max wants. He just thinks like, hey, this is the thing mm-hmm. I liked when I was way mm-hmm. younger than you but in my eyes you're still that age uh mm-hmm. like let's go do those things and they start to eventually hit that point and then pete shows yeah. up and fucks it all up <laughs> yeah well and even like there's so many callbacks like that deliciously out of date neptune hotel oh it's so good but again there are these moments that call us back to the the lineage and the history of the character um, in ways that like, well, it's even when Extremely Goofy Movie came into theaters or uh, when it came out on VHS and DVD, it came with a classic Goofy short mm-hmm. beforehand. Um, and then this first DVD also, the because I have the original DVD version of this was the one that got released. It's got two episodes of Goofy uh, Goof Troop on it, but it also has two of the, it also has two Goofy shorts on it. Um, I never watched them, but like one of them is the football short. And like, that is an iconic Goofy moment. Um, And we see some of those things in the movie, but in a way that's, again, like you've said, it's in a different context and it's in this, and this is one of those stories that I don't care that it's been told because really when we look at all Disney movies, rarely is it an original story or an original story type. Like Disney leans into formula. It is what their entire franchise and billions of dollars is based on. But like sometimes don't reinvent the wheel. This is one of those where it's so heartwarming and you connected with so many people um, that like why reinvent the wheel? Especially because again, this was Katzenberg's 
story of what he was going through with his daughter. So why not lean into it? Um, and of course, you've got Pete there that's got to fuck something up because really, otherwise, this movie is so close to what we've been getting recently with like Inside Out and Wreck-It Ralph 2 of this idea of there's no villain because we are our own worst enemy. And so really, Max could end up being the antagonist to this movie who then learns his lesson. Um, but like Pete needs to be there to drive the story in a very 90s animated way. Yeah, I mean, like the the thing about Pete is he fucks it up, but what he fucks up is is that he prevents Max from having the chance to fix his own mistake before we yes. get there, uh, and makes Goofy yes. aware of it. Like it's still Max's Max's mistake. Uh, Pete just calls attention yeah. to it. Uh, quick, quick pause uh, while you're saying yeah, that. Go. I was like, wait, is Pete Eisner? Like he puts on a really like big smile for the, mm-hmm. the, the kid and like, Oh, Oh my God, he is, isn't he? Mm-hmm. Fit? Uh, yeah, Pete's Eisner. which makes me go. I never want to see Michael Eisner in a, in a purple speedo. I forgot that like Pete shows up in a big ass purple speedo. And I was like, I don't like that. I never wanted to see this much of Pete. I love that shot some, though, because again, this is one of those shots that would be really difficult to do mm-hmm. otherwise, where it's yeah. goofy looking up through the water and through the bubbles. And so, yeah. and we get this translucency and he moves forward through it. Um, and so we get the silhouette and it looks like a big, like buff guy. And then what yeah. we, what we're meant to think is like the big barrel chest is actually his stomach, uh, barely being held back yeah. by the speedo. Uh, yeah. it's a really, it's a wonderful shot, uh, with the, the just obesity of Pete being like played for laughs, which, yeah, yeah. but PJ I mean, is, but is also heavy awesome and is Pete. not played for laughs. Like, I, I don't think there's any point right. aside from just like kind of joking about, uh, PJ, yeah. like, getting into dancing a bit that where they like mm-hmm. make fun of him for it. Right. Well, and that's more of just like him being a boy dancing and being a boy. Right. Yeah. He thinks he's alone. Him, and like, <laughs> yeah. Also because they dress PJ just like any other kid would have been dressed at the time. Like that is something I've, this is something how I feel Disney. I don't feel has ever been super disrespectful of fat characters. Um, sometimes they're used archetypally or like Gus Gus likes food. Um, but like, I've always felt that there's like a good amount of like chubby characters. And I always like chubby, the Dis- chubby Disney characters. Cause like, I don't know. You got, you got Claw Hauser. Who's great. Yeah. You got well, Cause there's there. a difference between. Yeah. I mean, there's a difference between being a, a bad guy who is fat and you kind of make fun of mm-hmm. ever, like everything about them. Like Pete's a bad dude. Mm-hmm. His weight isn't his problem, but it definitely speaks to his vices. Mm-hmm. You know, like he he overeats. He uh, he is like he is the this like symbol of capitalism mm-hmm. and consumption. Um, but but you you feel that it is like you you already know what his problems are, mm-hmm. and the weight is just like a symptom of it. Mm-hmm. Um, versus PJ doesn't actually have those right. vices, and like like no one's bad because they're fat. Like, right. but there might be a guy who's fat because he's bad, right. and like you you're calling attention to. Like mm-hmm. the badness of that. Well, in, uh, side note about food, though, yeah, because we we're talking about the Neptune thing. Oh my god, the pizza in that shot looks so fucking delicious. So the way delicious. that the cheese stretches oh, and everything, and it's yes. like every time I see it, I I'm so hungry for for, for melted cheese. Okay, it's but so it's good the, looking. It's the magic growing pizza because it was a tiny pizza when when PJ puts it on the floor and then they're just pulling pieces and pieces. But then when Goofy walks in, there's literally like twelve pieces of pizza all over that room, and I was like. Where did this? Pe- did you boys eat any of this pizza? 
where is the rest of this pizza? Also, because there are more toppings, but it is everywhere. It's in that shag carpeting. It's when the grown-ass adult in me went, we're not getting back that deposit I put on my credit card, are we? We're not getting that deposit back. <laughs> you better clean that cheese out of that carpet right now, Max Goof. Clean that cheese out of that carpet. Um, but what's interesting also about this point, because this scene is a turning point, and I think it's important that it's at night. It's lit in this very 60s and 70s way so that we don't have any direct lighting because they're coming from pool lights and and lamps and street lights and all these things that are not direct lighting um, because Goofy's finding out in an indirect way and Max has been indirect and uh, untruthful with Goofy. And so nothing is happening in a direct way. Um, but we're seeing Goofy's face we're seeing Goofy experience emotions that we've never experienced Goofy having before. Because even on Goof Troop, he was still so archetypal and was always like the happy-go-lucky guy. And like watching his face contort into shame and sadness and regret and then anger. Angry Goofy. I imagine how much fun they had animating him because like his face does these really impressive like accordion things. Um, but it's it's that moment of we're seeing him experience these things. And like Donald, Donald is always one of those things that like Donald has had this like thing before. Um, Donald has always felt like extreme emotions. And Mickey has never Mickey for a long time was not actually a great character. He was kind of sleazy. He was kind of greasy um, and he treated many really poorly. And so over this time, Goofy's not conveyed a ton the, he, the character hasn't needed to feel these emotions and now we're seeing him feel and process complex emotion which again this is you and i picking apart because we love this movie so much but it's actually something it's a really interesting character study of of also so like the voice actor who voiced goofy they had him go through and then um Katzenberg actually was like what do you mean you're doing the old goofy voice this goofy needs to speak like a normal human being because it's like the the goofy voice was up max heard as goofy as a kid but then i want goofy to speak so he so the actor who played goofy recorded the entire movie and then re-recorded everything speaking in a new normal flat voice for goofy i can't imagine that being an effective version of this story. Cause then why are we actually telling the story with goofy? Cause it's not goofy at that point. He's a guy that looks like goofy. It's it's okay. It's this is me. It's, it's watching the new Muppet stuff because now that it's the new Kermit and I don't like the new Kermit just cause it's not Kermit. It doesn't even sound like Jim's Kermit. It doesn't sound like the other Kermit. You know, it's just the thing of like, it wouldn't be goofy and it wouldn't actually be a goofy movie. We wouldn't be getting it. Like it wouldn't be, like it's something so interesting about this character who has this larger than life persona and like weird inflection, in the way that he talks and like Max is so terrified of becoming that guy, mm -hmm. but that we're seeing that character and hearing the character process through these really advanced things, really in-depth things that I think it actually makes the story so much richer and so wonderful because of that. Yeah, I mean, it's it is a growing up story for everyone involved. Like, again, the mm -hmm. classic uh, I'm I'm a teenage boy coming into adulthood is is very much up front. But the, the side of it being like I'm an established adult coming to terms with the fact that I'm 
not the hero of the story anymore is also there. And it, yeah. the, the fact that we've got a very true goofy at all points, like, you know, they, they strike a really mm-hmm. good balance of, of, uh, of evolving the character while still being true to the character. Yeah. Yeah. I, I agree. So, so we've talked about a lot of things we love. Was there anything else that just you like absolutely love and really stands out as something that's super unique for this for you? Oh man. Uh, God. That we have that we haven't talked about or touched on or you know uh, go ahead. I want to talk about Powerline as a, a character and a yeah. pop culture figure in this because it is mm-hmm. such an interesting balance to to create a character that needs to represent modern pop culture and yeah it feels dated now um but but to create mm-hmm. like what felt like a superstar of 1995 um completely mm-hmm. whole cloth like you know th- we get a michael jackson reference in there because like there's at one point someone with like a gold or look like a jeweled glove uh that waves mm-hmm. uh during the on the open road number um oh yeah but yeah, yeah. To, to create uh to, to create Powerline, who is this like amalgamation of like michael jackson and prince and Prince. um there's like some 80s glam rock stuff going on in there mm-hmm. um and then there but but who's also like like goofy max is also like has like this uh like mm-hmm. uh black coating going on with it um mm-hmm. and to have Tevin Campbell be the voice who like is it, it, it <laughs> isn't powerline it's not like they just took <laughs> took power right. like someone who is powerline and put him in the movie um uh, but who is who is so fucking cool? <laughs> uh, I saw him. Mm-hmm. I, I saw him um, on uh, in Hairspray on Broadway, uh, and I got so excited. Oh. And it was it was so great watching him uh, on, on that because I uh, I had told uh, my partner when we went to go see it, and I got really excited because like I didn't know who was in the cast, uh, and it was just, I was like Kevin Campbell. <laughs> she was like, "Who's that?" And I'm like, oh, "It's only the That's biggest rock amazing. star on the planet." <laughs> Uh, and she immediately got <laughs> Case, tell me who your favorite 90s music icon is and tell me why it's Powerline. <laughs> <laughs> That's basically it. Like, but, but like, um, we, get, we get two bops who, which are, yeah, well, you know, perfect for the scenes, but also mm-hmm. are like, are kind of timeless. Um, and sure, like Eye to Eye, which is kind of like this, um, uh, doesn't matter for black and white or black or white kind mm-hmm. of like, um, like all come together mm-hmm. kind of number, which, Early '90s loved like that. Mm-hmm. Like, let's be honest. Um, but but oh, yeah. like they did such a good job of creating a completely um, unique avatar for the concept of pop culture. Um, you know, like there's no one who's quite that. There's mm-hmm. it, like sure, there's a lot of like yeah. areas where you can be like, oh it, well, it's kind of like this thing or it's kind of like that thing. But it's not any of those things. It's not. Th- th- this is a. Uh, like this is a figure of pop culture that you believe that these kids love. Uh, and like, you wonder what is like the rest of his cattle. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you know, it, it, it's, it's so cool that they found a way for it to fit in so well with the actual moments of the, of the pieces that they, they brought it out for because, you know, stand out, obvi- like it's not, it's not a novel concept to have a song that like, conveys the mood of the characters at the time but that yeah. is such a perfect song for like this is the this is the point of max at this moment and eye to eye is such a point like of this is all of our characters coming together and really sort of like growing uh 
And it's just a very uh, interesting thing that they're able to do that appropriately and not have it feel jarring or like overly on the nose because it would have been very easy for it to be on the nose. Like they, they do a really good job of having this artificial pop culture figure um, feel, feel right for the universe and also right for the story. But they do this thing where they would then guarantee that like it could be on the radio on any radio station and appeal to any demographic, which is really quite interesting. Um, I mean, we're still, I mean, my, I have a drag son, uh, Noah Caprende, great drag, drug king and this was the first number that he did because he's a disney fan and i was like let's do it you got to do this <laughs> song um and you know it's just it is a forgive the pun i you know what i think we're going to need is a standout counter on this episode uh but standout is just standout and i'm sorry it's a missed opportunity that they did not release a full powerline album this year for the anniversary and have Tavon Campbell do some Jordan Fisher sounds just like him as well. And Disney loves Jordan Fisher. Bruno Mars sounds just like him. I think they could have done a really fun power line album have, cause you know what I want to see Janelle Monet is power line. That's what I want. <laughs> um, but like, I just, I would love a full power line album. I've been waiting since 1995. Get with it. Disney, get with it. Disney music. If you can make, if you can make five albums for Hillary Duff and Lindsay Lohan, you can make a power line album. Boom. <laughs> but yeah, no, I agree with you that I think Powerline is one of the like understated but super standout moments. Um, also, just talking about like weird body types and like Disney has always been pretty good with putting different body types. The the heavy woman in the light up hula hoops who's just screlting her face off. It's so good. It's such a mm-hmm. wonderful like Ursula almost moment of having just like she is in her power. She is, and I just love it. I just, I think it's so good. And I think they did a really good job of leading you up to a because they kept talking about this concert and that's the payoff moment. And they delivered in such a good way that even though like standout for a lot of people is the better number, I think for me, eye to eye uh, sees eye to eye with standout as a standout number. Um, <laughs> well, and it's so well set up. Right like now. again, Lima so as well a director up. is so good at setup and payoff. Like mm-hmm. everything, always like when you get when you get to that moment, you're like, "Yep, this is earned." And like that yeah. concert felt big. Like the the transition to the concert with the way the music plays mm-hmm. is such a bam, setup ba, for ba, yeah. Ba-dum, ba-dum. It's such a good transition. The transitions in this movie are so great. Like you, they just got filmmaking. And part of me goes, is it because it was a French studio? Because the French just do transitions. The French do film well. I love French film. So I was like, is it is it because it was mostly animated in France? Is that is that what happened? Like, I don't know. <laughs> so, okay, so I'm going to ask you now, as we've kind of been talking about it and we've gushed about it, is there anything that you would change or anything that you felt was missing that you would like to see put in here? Um, actually, can I bring up one more thing that I really like that I yeah. want to draw attention to? Oh my to, god! Yeah, and then, yeah, yeah. Let's and, and then you can f- feed me that question again. Yeah, yeah, uh, absolutely. One more yeah. thing I really want to bring up about uh, the things I really like about this movie um, is, is that there, this is like a minor character, but I find it fascinating. Which is uh, the character of Stacy, uh, who yeah. is voiced by Jenna Von Oy, who uh, was six on Blossom. Um, mm-hmm. And she is, by all rights, a nerdy character. She's got braces. She uh, mm-hmm. has glasses. She's like kind of like Sally Plain and Tall. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, she's the student body president. Um, 
but everyone loves her. It's like she's, she's so cool. Popular. She has the party, but she she's definitely a dork. Like she's um mm-hmm. like, like while there's a lot of people who are into her, she uh is tr- selective and ultimately chooses uh Bobby who is Polly Shore's character uh mm-hmm. <laughs> which was a fine scene. Uh but what I really enjoy is just the, they don't play into any of these stereotypes. Like uh e- even the characters who uh kind of are dismissive of Max um still are for the most part like like open to him being like welcoming into the cool circles. Like I, I like to think in my head that like the, the big standout concert isn't really the scene that like uh, makes him cool. It's so much as like, he just happened to disrupt a boring like school function and no one like right. the principal. Um, and, and so like Stacy is sort of the epitome of this and like other characters, like uh, I, I think it's uh, Chad is Joey Lawrence's character because that part was supposed mm-hmm. to be bigger. And so they had Joey Lawrence in it, um, but he's like pretty accepting of Max and, and whatnot. But like, Stacy is that character who is like she should be nerdy. People should like be make, making fun of her. But the the contrast between when she's talking and she welcomes the principal on and they all go silent is so um, so clear that you can be a effective like person with your shit together and mm-hmm. and still be respected by your peers, which is like kind of counter mm-hmm. to like what most teen narratives do. Uh, and I love it. it. It's such a it's such a different thing that they just have there in the, in the background, but it's there. She's, she's got the big party that everyone is going to. It's not Mm -hmm. some rich kid. It's not some like, you know, like not the, like the football quarterback. It's, uh, it's the student body president who is again, uh, like the, the, this just like very put together, uh, boss bitch. Yeah. No, I will say her family is well off enough that they have a giant TV and pay-per-view. That is, that is true. But, but But, she is not prissy. And she's not stuck no. up. And I would say those things were fairly clearly like middle class in the 90s. Like she represents that like Ferris Bueller kind of, of middle class family. But what's interesting and something I actually like about this, because what's funny is the like hot blonde girl and like the big the big athlete guys that we see. That's what live action teen dramas of the time looked like, where in this PJ, Max, Bobby, um, and and both uh oh oh my god, why am I blocking both of these characters both of the female characters there, they looked like actual teenagers. Like they looked how kids actually like how we all looked in school. Everybody was a little dorky. And so, like, even looking back now, it's like when people post pictures, I was like, Oh, I thought you were this really cool, popular person, but I was like, you were a big fucking dweeb. Like you looked like a dweeb. Um kind of deal and so you know it's it's just so interesting but i that's something that i i've always appreciated about those things of like they still look you know they looked like actual teenagers and and it felt r- more real than than can't hardly wait or or a lot of those the the you know the teen movies of the time or the teen shows because we were just this is just before like dawson's creek and felicity or felicity was happening during this so it's like you know, it's it's one of those things that it's this feels like a much more adequate representation of what teenagers actually were, because I feel this is somewhere between Degrassi and One Tree Hill kind of deal. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it, it's it's telling that we've got two like Blossom alums like as characters mm-hmm. in this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Uh, 
But yeah, no, I lo- I love that as well, and I think that's something. Though, remind me when we get to something when we get around to. Well, you know what? I th- I think this could be a good transition time to of things that maybe we didn't like or things that we would have changed. Now, remind me later. There's a moment with Bobby that we've talked about multiple times that I don't understand, and I think it might have just been a confusion with the the casting, or they just they forgot to have an extra record. Oh, uh, when um, in, at the party, when they're it's like that goof yeah. kid ain't there. Yeah. And I was like, Bobby wouldn't say that. Bobby. Yeah, no, really that's, good that's friends totally that Polly Shore is too big of, of an actor mm-hmm. and that they gave him a mm-hmm. line that wasn't meant for him. I, uh, so yeah. I, I have read that the Chad character who is Joey Lawrence and like, I, the, like, it's so weird, but you also look at him, you're like, that's Joey Lawrence. Like it's very clearly, mm-hmm. uh, his character from blossom just like transplanted into this movie. Yeah. Um, uh, so that character was supposed to be a bigger rival. And there's like a moment of that when he's like about to ask uh, Roxanne out on a date and then it gets interrupted mm-hmm. by Max. Um, I think that that line was meant for him. Um, yeah. And I think they just changed it because they cut that plot and they just they were like, well, we've got Pauly Shore uncredited, but it's it is Pauly Shore. Uh, let's give him that line. And, it, you know, it's it's mm-hmm. weird. I um I was sh- surprised to hear it again on my rewatch for this. And I think I'm surprised every time because it is out of character. Um, yeah. And I think the, the implication is that Bobby is not that good a friend uh, to mm-hmm. Max that they're uh, that while they have an alliance at the beginning of the day uh, for this like thing that they're doing, that it's not them being friends, which I'm also fine with right. as a concept. We just we don't have a lot of text to go on. Right. Right. Absolutely. Well, and they probably by the time they got to the end of that, they probably forgot about that line and went, oh, we're not going to pull Lawrence, but, you know, Joey Lawrence back in for one line, um, especially when the character was pretty much cut from the movie. So, um, but yeah, is there anything case that just doesn't work for you in this movie or you would have liked to see done differently? I mean, there's certainly a lot of stuff in this movie that is very 90s. And like, um, like there was a moment where watching the road trip where it's like, oh, this is a thing that kids don't go through anymore, where you have to mm-hmm. like play like 20 questions or something because we all have smartphones and, and devices and stuff like that. Um, you know, I, I think there's elements where the era we've just moved on from. Um, right. But I. You know, again, we, we talked about how this is formula, how it would be nice if there were more movies uh in our, our for me sorry uh it, like we've talked about how this is a formula how it would be nice if there were more movies in the the pantheon of disney that dealt with like a broader uh gr- like audience or like an audience surrogate like it wasn't all mm-hmm. like like cis male coming of age story with and how mm-hmm. i deal with my dad kind of stories like but you know I think it's a really solid one. I mean, there isn't a big thing that I like have a real objection to. Like, yeah, I think either. it's it's very well paced. The, there's like a couple shots where like Max is kind of skeevy about women, but you know what? He's yeah. also supposed to be like a 13 year old boy. And like, right. and like, you know what? Like, sure. Pop culture kind of reinforces that and makes it worse. But also I really wanted to see boobs when I was 13. Like, I'm sorry right. if I saw a bunch of backup dancers walk right past me, I would be excited. Uh, right. I would still be. <laughs> right. Please, I didn't even like boobs at 13, and I I, I was looking at boobs. So. Well, and also, there's something you said for just a pretty person in, skin, like, a, a scantily yeah. clad outfit walking past you. Uh, yeah. it, you know, I think there's a lot of people who sort of, like, will say, you, because it's, like, quote-unquote the thing that they're not into. But, right. like, well, you know, like, if you're more evolved, you realize, like, mm-hmm. you know what? Like, I, I can appreciate the beauty of the human body regardless. Yeah. And so, like, cool. Like, that's, that's fine. And, you know, Max 
being fun. Sure, whatever. Goofy walks mm-hmm. into the dressing room accidentally for that one or for the right. the singer, um, and is embarrassed. And it's like a very like kind of mm-hmm. classic shot of like him like twirling his ears around and being like super yep. embarrassed. And he has a right to be. And like it, like some people have said, like, oh, it's like really offensive that he would like barge in there. But like it's an accident. And like he's he it's clearly he's upset that he did it. Like, I don't right. really take that as a big issue. Yeah. I, I don't think that like I don't think that the worst scenes here are anything other than like a character who in the moment is coded as being as behaving badly. Yeah. Um, and usually either has karma or uh, feels bad about it. Right. But obviously anybody that has an issue with that has never been in a dark like arena or performance space backstage during your performance because every door looks alike and you're just trying to get out or you're just trying to get to your spot. And so you're going to walk through doors that you have no intention of walking through because you don't, you know, I know to knock because I'm a wardrobe person. But like if you're just trying to get out of a space, you're not going to knock like you're just kind of walk into somewhere. So, you know, that's one of those things that like. I think sometimes we look at things too critically from a, oh, well, Goofy's being a lech. And it's like, no, he literally was just trying to, like, escape and find Max. Yeah. Like, and that's just a, that's a really funny, like, half-dressed moment of they needed to propel Goofy literally to have a reason to fall into the, the orb. Like, be propelled backwards into the orb or whatnot. So, like, you know, it's it's... Those, I think that's when we're getting too nitpicky and we're getting too, like, that is a needlessly performative moment of SJW, like-ness, so. um, uh, Yeah, that's about it. I, like, I know that you weren't as big a fan of, like, the Bigfoot stuff. Um, But it's so cute. Like, I think, to me, that's me going, meh. But at the same time, I go, it's really funny. Like, and it's, it's, it's adorable in the grand scheme. And if it wasn't there, it wouldn't be a long enough movie. Because that's 10 minutes of the movie. So yeah. if you cut that, then it's suddenly like 65 minutes. And it's like, oh. Yeah, and and the movie's so brisk. Like the yes, like I think that's the thing. There's the movie doesn't waste any time, really. Like, yeah, I, you know, again, we say like I made a, a case for how I think that that scene leads to some very important stuff. So yeah, so there's a minor chase. Uh, yeah, whatever. Like, <laughs> yeah, 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 and it's one of those that again we've talked about it and we've skirted around it, but like I think there's not anything that I would consider super problematic, and I'm always somebody that like find something problematic but i think i think this is a nice subsection of like like not offensive humor of the 90s i think this is one of those moments of like it captures a moment in time like it is so like i know how to read an atlas because i had to learn how to read an atlas and that's something now kids ago just use google but like that is something so of a generation of kids but like i think that's so interesting and i think what's really interesting now disney only now sees this as a viable property because it has become so popular and successful in the last few years. Like millennials love this movie and have blown it up. So like I have a power line phone case that I just bought at Disney world. Like I live in Orlando, so it was at Disney Springs, but like there's a whole line of goofy movie merchandise that looks like it's clothing from the nineties right now. Like they are blowing up in it's for the millennial Instagrammers, but like, there's power line merchandise everywhere. I just bought a power line t-shirt from once upon a tea that looks like a nineties tour t-shirt. It's the first plus size power line shirt I found, but like, you know, it's one of those things. Yeah, like, I have that t-shirt also actually. Oh, nice. I love that. Yeah. But it's, I, you know, I've it's got that, but I've also, I actually went to a rave as power line, which went over like gangbusters. Did. I, which I love. And it's one of those things like it, the movie it's people love it. 
and I think it deserves a much bigger place in the canon. And I think this is a moment where we talk about how critics look at movies and critics intentionally do not treat movies equally. And I think this is another opportunity where you can't go in and expect this to be Schindler's List or Jurassic Park. You need to treat it like like I wouldn't even treat this like an animated film of the 90s. I would treat this like a 90s family genre film like a buddy cop like and it just happens to be animated but this is what walt was doing to begin with walt was telling stories that were really beautiful it's what hayao miyazaki does these beautiful stories that only work animated and that's why they're animated and i think there's so many important i I just think this movie is really important and i actually think this is a great movie for teenagers because now the 90s are back and so there's something like fun and nostalgic for the tiktok generation to like see you know these 90s moments but like there's always communication between parents and kids. That is a that is a forever generational issue. And I think this is actually like a beautiful movie to encourage you to be like, hey, be nice to your parents. Cut them some slack. I know you're mean because you're a teenager and you think everybody's trying to ruin your life because you just feel so inadequate. And it's like, parents, don't put so much pressure on yourself. Like, I think this is just a it's it's so beautiful and I love it. It's so enjoyable. And for me, more importantly, this movie is so re watchable like now that it's on disney plus and i can just click on it i'm gonna watch this at least once a week i love this movie i think it's super rewatchable i think it stacks up better than any movie we've had on the show in this first season i think this stacks up the best out of any movie and again fuck the critics it deserves better than a 56 i know it's so crazy like i i looked at some of the quotes and i i gotta say i don't always agree with roger ebert but he actually like Mm -hmm. was of a like yeah this is a good movie like, mm-hmm. what are you, you're nuts. And like other critics are like, oh, it's not the high art that Disney had like crafted. And I'm like, it's not an epic. No, it's, yeah. it, it's a nice musical about a father and son connecting with each other. Yeah. But it's also a beautiful film to watch. That's the thing. If you look at it, even from the eye of animation, I think this is just as beautiful and enjoyable to watch as Little Mermaid or Beauty and the Beast or Lion King. It's just animation, I think, is just so beautiful and so interesting in the way that you can tell stories with it. And again, it's, it's, you know, it's one of the, it's why we have the animation boom of the aughts. Like this movie is, you know, it, it also, you know, maybe this is why we got how to train your dragon because, you know, Jeffrey Katzenberg finally understood animation when they were developing this and he went on to DreamWorks. So for all of the things I give Jeffrey Katzenberg, we're going to call him the frenemy because people do learn and grow. I can never forgive him for what he did to uh, Howard Ashman, uh, which go watch the Howard documentary on Disney Plus. It's amazing. Uh, I, I cried multiple times. But, you know, this is one of those things where we all like how many of us have been like, I want to tell that one story. This was Jeffrey Katzenberg's one story. And Disney, Michael Eisner treated this in a way that like Michael Eisner did, because like Michael Eisner was so desperate for a relationship with his teenage son. It's why we have the Extremely Goofy movie. It's why Extraterrestrial was at Magic Kingdom. It's why Disneyland Paris was a cacophonous disaster, because he was so he wanted to be the cool dad that connected with his teenage son. Like, it's just one of those things that like it. It's it's you can see that, like, I'm glad that they didn't pull what Katzenberg tried to pull with other movies, which was just cut stuff and do things. And they actually produced the movie and they actually let it re-released in theaters. But I, I think it's, again, it's a weird Disney thing where they're just now going, Oh, we can make money off of it. Cool. This is a viable part of the Canon now because we now can make money on it and make money back 25 years later. Because what's interesting is there's no published budget for this film. I cannot find a budget 
published for this film online. There are a few that are like proposed or kind of talked about that are on like the IMDb and stuff. But um, the box office, because I don't believe it had a worldwide, it just had a US release. It only made 35.3 million. So it was technically a box office disaster for them because when you're looking at the hundreds of millions of dollars they were making off of the Disney Renaissance. You know, it's one of those things that like, okay, now I, I, I'm in it, but I'm glad that we're now at a point where they're going, Oh, goofy movie is totally a valid part of the canon. And I think this movie deserves every bit of love that it has. 100%. (laughs) 100%. (laughs) Yeah. Well, case, are there any other thoughts? I I think we've, we've tapped this one pretty, pretty well, uh, considering how, how, how long you and I can normally talk about, uh, things. Were there anything that we didn't touch on that you want to, want to hit on before you wrap Uh, up? No, I, I'm going to drop a plug again for the episode of another pass where I talk about extremely goofy movie because that movie is very disappointing. And we spent a good chunk of time talking about this one. Um, in in comparison um i i would say that that's a really good episode because we do kind of talk about like the evolution of the character and it it, it was a good episode if you like talking <laughs> if you like talking mm-hmm. about a goofy movie go check out our an extremely goofy movie episode my guest stacy weigel and i had like a really good time uh because she's a disney stan also and it, it, like it, it was such a jarring different movie than this like th- this was such a, a well-crafted thing yeah. that in in spite of itself whereas that one had like product placements and was just like kind of awkward mm-hmm. um so i i would say check that one out because man i love this movie so much mm-hmm. <laughs> so well done well and that one and that one looked like it was animated by tune studios like that one looks oh yeah absolutely. also because that was pretty much digital there was a lot of that that was digital so like it just looks cheap it looks flat with the exception of like 70 70- disco dancing number for goofy like the rest of that movie is just trash but uh so case i think this is actually a really good uh you talked about it a little bit but let's lay down those pitches where can everyone find you in your programming on the interweb yeah so uh again i host three shows on the certain pov network uh again that's another pass where we uh where we we pitch how a movie could have been fixed at the time of production or discuss how a movie almost went wrong and actually course corrected just in time um so that's a lot of fun uh and that's sort of the the way i got into podcasting um but then i've also got scruffy nerf herders which is a star wars Dungeons and dragons game that i've been doing for almost four years now and it's been a lot of fun and we've had some crazy stories some fun guests um first 50 episodes was uh, one big arc and then since then we've been doing little sub arcs with different people um a lot of your certain pov friends are there so check Mm -hmm. that out and then also men of steel where we talk about superman and superman archetypes and just just try to relish um what the positive aspects of those stories are um sometimes it might be a good story like a a good comic or a good movie sometimes it's here's a cool character or here's a good issue uh related to a character not not a comic issue but like a, a an element of it like so we talked about milestone in relation to like black lives matter um and that was like that felt like we at the very least were like uh, really trying to talk about how fiction can be a force for positive change in the world. Uh, and that's always something that I wanted to sort of explore. Uh, so those are my big three areas. Yeah, that, that that's that. I love that. Well, in case there's something fun and new coming to certain POV. Case, do you like cheesecake? I do like cheesecake. I love cheesecake. And I love four women who continued to bring cheesecake every week 
to American audiences for seven years. Uh, certain POV, shockingly enough, has decided to add a new show from uh, screen snark host Rachel Corky Shank and uh, some asshole uh, named Maddie Limerick from Adult Open Dreams podcast. Uh, a new show called Stay Golden, a Golden Girls podcast, is coming to certain point of view this fall. That doesn't sound uh, right. Wait, wait. Uh, I, I I hear it's uh, Maddie and Rachel are going to talk about the uh, iconic episodes of Golden Girls and how it actually revolutionized and changed how people watched television. Uh, so this isn't a rewatch podcast. This is uh, we're selecting certain episodes and we're talking about it from a sociopolitical standpoint. So we're talking about um, marriage equality. We're talking about AIDS crisis. We're talking about uh, immigration reform. We are talking about um, in vitro fertilization and the sexualization of women, things that like this show had no right to be as revolutionary as it was. So that is coming to a certain point of view very, very soon. So I hope everybody looks out for it. Case, thanks again for coming on the show, buddy. Of course. Thank you for having me on. Hey, Nerf Herders. My name is Case Aiken, and for over two years, I've hosted my show, Another Pass, where I sit down with interesting guests to talk about movies that we find fascinating but flawed. Good movies, bad movies, doesn't matter. We find ways that they could have been improved. So if you ever thought that a sequel dropped the ball by forgetting about a plotline, that an epic could have been saved by introducing the director to an editor, or that a comedy didn't work hard enough to have some substance behind the laughs, then check out Another Pass podcast at CertainPOV.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you all for those who went to our Teespring to participate in Pride Summer. The store will be closing for good until March 2021 on November 1st. Now, in March, we will have brand new merch with some really cool new things. So get any of the current designs now because they will be gone forever as of November 1st. Don't forget to check out our Patreon, where only $2 a month can help you support our show. Right now, I'm releasing a special series about Disney parks and the global pandemic, uh, just for the patrons on Patreon, as well as a really cool merchandise prize pack that you will only be able to get through our Patreon that is valued at $25. It's some really cool swag just for our patrons on Patreon. So go over and subscribe now. Also, don't forget to subscribe, leave a five-star review, and rating with your thoughtful reviews. We are so close to 50, so close to 50 reviews on Apple and Spotify. Please just drop in and leave those for us so we can move forward to Season 2. Now, we have a huge announcement coming about Season 2 and what the future of Double Up and Dreams holds, which will be part of our anniversary episode coming October 30th, so make sure you're following on all social media to stay up to date. So join us next time for a very special lost episode of Dole Open Dreams. You know, sometimes tech difficulties happen and we just have to trash episodes. We've had a few, but through the magic of our vault, I was able to save one of those episodes. So next time, join us as we take a deep dive into the spooky and whimsical tale of Ichabod and Mr. Toad with guest Ryan Christopher Thomas. May your days be filled with Dole Whip and dreams. Now enjoy this taste from The Hunted Encore from Season 2 
The song is called It Only Takes One Bite. POV. Certain POV.com.